On May 17, 1987, an Iraqi F-1 Mirage aircraft fired two Exocet missiles at the Navy frigate USS Stark, which was patrolling in the Persian Gulf. The Stark was equipped with radar system to detect such missiles in the air, and in the nerve center of the ship was an electronic warfare operator, a man who monitored these systems. If a missile was fired at the ship, he would be warned in two ways. An audible alarm would sound, and a visual symbol would appear on the radar screen. Nevertheless, without warning, the missile slammed in the side of the USS Stark just above the waterline, tearing a 10-foot hole in the ship and killing 37 American sailors. To learn what went wrong, the House Armed Services Committee launched an official investigation. After visiting the ship and talking to the crew, they reported that the tragedy had probably not resulted from equipment failure. Rather, the cause was human error or omission on the part of several people, one of whom was the electronic warfare operator in the ship's nerve center. The report said, quote, the operator indicated that he had turned off the audible alarm feature because too many signals were being received that were setting off the alarm, requiring actions that distracted him from, from performing other signal analysis, unquote. Then with the audible alarm off, according to the investigators, investigators, he may have been distracted at the time when the visual signals appeared on the radar screen. Warning signals are usually an irritating interruption, but we turn them off at our peril. We come this morning to Hebrews chapter 2, to the first of many warnings that the author gives us. And, the, and uh, this morning, the warning is before us that we must not ignore our salvation. We must not ignore our salvation. We say, Pastor, uh, we just celebrated salvation and just a few minutes ago in the Lord's Supper. And I understand that, but there is still the danger of ignoring our salvation. And the author of Hebrews warns against that. And he gives us two reasons why we must not ignore our salvation. The first one from verse 1 is because our, re- our salvation must be taken seriously. Look at verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. He makes several points here, and the first one is that salvation must be taken seriously because of the Savior. That word, therefore, points back to chapter 1. We talked about the past couple Sundays, the supremacy of Christ to angels, and why he is so much better in his character and in his work. Considering that truth is the basis for the warning in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. Some of you say, well, pastor, what are you talking about salvation? What do you mean? We hear the context of the, of the passage we're discussing. It's not our initial salvation when, we, when you and I accepted Christ as Savior, and I hope you've done that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking not, uh, not about our initial salvation, but the process of salvation, which starts with saving faith and ends with completed sanctification. So, in other words, the whole of the Christian life, from the time you got saved until the time you meet Jesus, That whole process is called a process of salvation or sanctification. And that is what the author of Hebrews is referring to. So the greatest revelation of God, his son, 
And its supremacy to angels cannot be ignored by the believer. And I would urge you that by that very word, therefore, it highlights again the importance of working out our theology in daily life. Now, when I say the word theology or doctrine, some of you are going to get really big eyes. You're like, okay, he's using big words now. Come on, tone it down a little bit, Pastor. But it's true. The doctrine of the word of God, the theology that comes from the word of God, what we believe, what God lays out in his word, affects our lives and should affect our lives. That's why that word, little word, therefore, is important. Because it's pointing back to chapter 1's discussion of who Jesus is. And as we just celebrated in the Lord's Supper, who Jesus is matters. And it should matter in our lives. Notice also that our salvation requires vigilant attention. He uses the phrase, we must give the more earnest heed. What does that, that phrase give? The must give, word must give means to be under necessity of happening with the emphasis being on compulsion because of circumstances or inner, inner, or inner necessity. So in other words, it needs to happen because of circumstances or inner motivation. You know, we all have uh, things that we need to accomplish at home. We have the honey-do list for all of us guys. And why does that list exist? It exists because it needs to get done. And there are times where Gentlemen, our our wives kind of prod us and poke us in that direction and give us some encouragement because it's a task that needs to be done. We need to pay attention to the list so we can get it accomplished. And even more importantly, the list here is not a list of things to do, but of something that needs to be paid attention to, and that is our salvation. He says we must give the more was the word the more mean? The more means excessively to a greater degree. It refers to being beyond standard or abundance. Fulfillment. So the idea is moving on to a greater degree, to, to do something that is beyond the standard, beyond what is required. We kind of could uh, describe it as going, going the extra mile. You know, that's very much praised in our society, going the extra mile. And here, the author of Hebrews is making the observation that as we pay attention, we must pay attention beyond what is required, to go beyond what is, what is expected of us. So we do need to do it more and more, to, even to the point where we, we almost become obsessed with it as we pay attention to our salvation. The word earnest here, heed, is where we get our, our word attention from. It means to pay close attention to something. And the, the way it's constructed in the original language is, is, is a, a description of purpose. So we must give the more earnest heed. We must pay close attention to the things that we have heard. The way that I would illustrate this idea of paying close attention is that uh, before coming up here, uh, moving up here, uh, you know that I worked carpentry construction as a, as a main job. But there were, being, there were times during my working for quick construction that uh, I didn't have any work. Uh, just because of slowness of the construction season or just not enough work around, I got, in, in some sense of the word, laid off. And so I had to find some other way of income for doing that. 
And so I, I chose to become a delivery driver for DoorDash. Does anybody know what DoorDash is? Okay, a few of you, okay. What DoorDash is, is a service that uh, started several years ago where independent contractors uh, sign up and they pay a fee. Well, no, we don't pay a fee. Uh, you sign up and then you become a delivery driver for the company which uh, assigns certain uh, delivery routes, or not delivery routes, but delivery stops to you. And there are different restaurants who use this service. Uh, so, for example, McDonald's, um, I'm just trying to think of some ones you might know. Perkins, some other restaurants um, use DoorDash for delivery. And so what I would do is I would log into my app uh, and sign up for a certain time schedule and, and go out and do deliveries. And when the pandemic hit, uh, the service expanded to groceries. So your popular grocery stories, for us, one of them down in Ankeny was, and still is to this day, Hy-Vee. And so Hy-Vee signed up for that service. So I would drive up and pick up someone's groceries. When you're do doing deliveries, you have to pay attention to what you're delivering or else you can forget something. And you could have a customer get mad at you for not delivering their whole order. Now, sometimes it wasn't my fault because they forgot something in the order. And then sometimes it was my fault because in the back of my truck, there was a couple bags I needed to deliver. And I was so focused on doing the next delivery that I forgot them and had to double back and drop them off. So I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't looking uh, to make sure all the groceries and perhaps food items were being dropped off and delivered. I was just kind of more concerned and distracted with other things that I failed to pay attention. Well, that's the same thing for us in regards to our salvation, becoming more like Christ in our Christian life. It is exceedingly necessary that we pay attention, that we make sure that we're walking with him, that we make sure that we're uh, putting to death the sin in our lives. It's not a, a casual thing that we're supposed to do. It's, it's, it requires focused attention. And what are we to focus our attention on? It's the things that we have heard. So now the author is putting himself in the recipient's shoes and referencing the message of salvation, of salvation and its accompanying truth. And he's highlighting the message that they received. It was given by an outside source and they heard it. So what's he saying here? He's saying salvation cannot be ignored and requires constant consideration. Not just on a Sunday morning, not just on a Wednesday night, but all the time. Considering what we just celebrated, that Jesus died on a cross for our sins and rose again. And also considering as we're thinking about what, what does that mean for my daily life? How am I supposed to live that out? Is considering salvation. Why do we need to do that? Well, he lays out another, another uh, motivation here, if you will. Ignoring salvation results in drifting away. Therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. This word drift away means to be washed away or drift away is a good uh, translation. And the construction of the sentence here indicates possibility. So we're not paying attention to our salvation. We're not considering how it applies to our daily life. Living out that truth in our daily walk, we could drift away. 
Let me just describe to you from one of the author commentaries that I read just his description of this word. Quote, in this context, it means most likely a tactical nautical term meaning to hold a ship to port. And since the author uses another word of the same kind in the same verse, it probably means this. The idea is, is holding, anchoring a ship. Some of you own boats uh, and have used them on Rainy Lake and Rainy River. What do you do when you, when you go up to the deck or the dock that you, you came from? You tie it up. Why? You don't want that many thousands of dollars floating away. You want to make sure it's secure, and that's the idea here. There's also another way of using it, and, and uh, overall context of this, of this passage probably refers to a nautical reference. It has been suggested that the term also refers to fastening an anchor to the seabed to prevent a ship from drifting. A couple of the ancient Greek philosophers used this term in another way, but they used uh, Plato, the ancient Greek philosopher Plato, used it of something slipping from me- away from memory. So the idea of memory loss. He uses that word to describe memory loss. Another one, Plutarch, used it to describe a, a ring slipping off from a finger. Now some may look at this verse and say, well, pastor, it would seem that he's talking about losing one's salvation if we're not careful to observe it. And I would say this is not so for several reasons. Number one, Jesus says clearly that salvation is never lost. We can go to John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, where Jesus says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So Jesus says it can never be lost. Once saved, always saved. And I know there are those who disagree with that. But it clearly says from Scripture that once you're saved, you're always saved. Another factor we need to take into consideration, the recipients of the book have been saved already. Right? They're not people who are strangers to salvation, but they have embraced it. So he's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to people who could be saved. He's talking to people who are saved and are clearly established in that. And the last reason I would give for you, and there are probably a few more that I missed, for not losing one's salvation, nobody can ever do that, once saved, always saved, is that the responsibility of saving is God's, not man's. Ephesians 2.8.9, we know these, these verses by heart. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from you, or this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The responsibility of saving is with God, not man. Because if it was with man, God would not, God would not get the glory, and we would lose our salvation instantaneously. So, it's not about losing salvation. It's not about losing your eternal security. I say, Pastor, then what is it about? Well, I believe the author here is challenging us and his readers to not wander away from the truths of salvation because if we do, we will not be secure and therefore open to doubt and lies. When you when you're stick close to the truth, it was mentioned this morning, uh, Bible reading, less mentioned Bible reading and how the the effect on the spiritual life and the witnessing for Christ is greatly increased. 
If we do not stick to the truths of salvation, remembering them, practicing them, guess what we're going to do? We're going to float away. We're going to be like a ship that doesn't have an anchor, a ship that's just constantly tossed and back and forth with no home and no goal in life. There are many Christians who do this, who just kind of sit on the sidelines. They've been saved. They believe in Jesus and what he's done for them. But as far as, as remembering those things, it becomes easily forgotten. And thus they have drifted away. So I would encourage you this morning by way of application, are you paying attention to your salvation or are you drifting away? Are you remembering the truths from God's word in your daily life? Now, now this does not mean that, that you have to read your Bible ten times a day and pray three times and say, do all these different things. No, I'm asking you, are you actively paying attention to your salvation? And what Jesus did for you and how he is influencing your life through his word even now and causing you and challenging you to live by his truth. Or are you easily forgetting those things as a ring slips from a finger, you're just, it doesn't come to mind. And therefore, when, when fear and doubt come upon you, you're, you're easily susceptible the author of Hebrews here in verse 1 shows us that the ignorance of our salvation, the, the, the lack of application, a lack of knowledge to our salvation, application of knowledge to our salvation leads us to drifting away from the truth. And therefore we're more open to doubt and lies. Do you want to be more secure in your Christian life? Do you want to be more sound in your thinking and practical in your obedience to the scriptures? Pay attention to your salvation. Pay attention to the truth of God's word. Make it a part of your life. And if you do, you will never drift away. Second reason to not ignore our salvation is that our salvation has a greater level of accountability. Verse 2, For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So we're coming back to angels here. So if God used angels in his message to the world and his message came true, what does that say about us is what he is saying. So the, the, the word here, for, in verse 2, explains uh, verse 3. So what, what the uh, author is doing is using this introductory sentence, clause, if you will, to explain the following clause. He uses several words. The word, uh, word means, to, means the message of God spoken to the world. And this message was part of, of angels' proclamation, wasn't it? It's not just the prophets and <coughs> the different messengers that God sent, Moses. Angels had a part in it, proclaiming that message to the world. And it was a steadfast message or a reliable message, trustworthy. The message spoken was certain to occur because of its origin in God. And what was the message? It was that of obey or suffer the consequences. And what happened? Every, every transgression, the word transgression means violation of a, of a law. Disobedience means here uh, not just disobedience, but disobedience with an unwillingness to hear. 
and a refusal to obey. If those things received a just reward, a righteous reward, a reward that's paid for deeds, what does that say about salvation? So there is no escaping the consequence of salvation. If they didn't escape back in the Old Testament, the message of God that was spoken through angels, why do we think we are going to suffer, not suffer the consequences? So what he's doing here in verse 2 and 3 is using a lesser to the greater argument. If you've ever take a, taken a logic class, I had to take one in college, lesser to greater means you use something of less significance to argue a greater emphasis. You know, again, an illustration might be that if Sundays are for worship, then the rest of the days are for work. So you're arguing one day versus other days to prove the emphasis of the other days. That's what the author is doing. He's using a lesser argument to, to prove a greater argument. What does that word escape mean? The word escape means to become free from danger by avoiding some peril. And the way it's constructed shows personal responsibility. He's asking, how shall we escape? Or how, how are we going to find a way out of this? The answer is we're not. Because it's so great. The word so great is, is to describe salvation. Um, the salvation that we have, the process of salvation. How are we going to escape that? If we neglect it. The word neglect here means to have no care for and can be translated to be unconcerned about. A way I would illustrate this word, neglect, is describing my bachelor life before I got married. Uh, there are a lot of things I neglected in my bachelor days. Um, one of them was to wash dishes. Uh, there was one time, this was way back before I met Mary, it was back in seminary days, I let three weeks' worth of dishes pile in my uh, sink. And by the time I finally got in it, and I blamed myself, yes, I was busy with study and, and work and stuff, and just kind of tossed them in and just moved on with the rest of my day. Um, it got so bad that I opened up a frying pan, and there was um, larva that had been eating some of the rotten stuff I left behind. Okay? Yeah, that's, that's how bad I was. Okay? I neglected it. I neglected to do it because it just... It was not in my priority list. I wasn't going to pay attention to it because I just haven't the right priorities. Now, obviously, I don't do that today. Um, my wife, <laughs> my wife, thanks the Lord for that. And uh, so I, I wash the dishes or put them in the dishwasher and let the dishwasher do it, okay? Um, that's what neglect does. It shows you don't care. It shows you're not concerned. And the author is using that term to say, if the judgment of God rendered against those who ignored his message was sure it happened, it occurred, how much more will the judgment be for those who ignore the Son and the salvation he provides? The consequences are far more devastating for ignoring what God has done through his Son. We just read about it in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 30 Wherefore, therefore, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Jump down to verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. They, those in Corinth had misabused the Lord's Supper. Remembrance time. 
They had treated it just commonly, casually, flippantly. And God judged them for it. Just because we're saved doesn't mean that God doesn't have some consequences for us if we disobey. Right? Our salvation is not a blank slate, free, get-out-of-jail card. There are consequences for ignoring God's truth. And so much more for us who have been, to whom the, the, the message of salvation has been revealed. We have a greater accountability. And if that wasn't enough, the author uses one more reinforcement that this message of salvation, that the truth of God's word from beginning to end has been confirmed through personal testimony and divine confirmation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. That phrase at first kind of gives the order of things. So he's laying out kind of a process here. Who is first in that order? The first one is the Lord himself, Christ, revealed the message of salvation to his disciples and his followers and now through testimony to us. So that's an evidence, that's a reinforcement, a confirmation of what God takes seriously. It is also testified by those who personally heard it and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So the author is lumping himself into the us there and testifying that those who heard Jesus testified to them, and that was confirmed. The word confirmed here means to to put something beyond doubt. They heard the words of Christ firsthand and saw his work and passed that on to others, making it a confirmed thing beyond shadow of a doubt. And the message of salvation was confirmed by God's divine hand. Signs and wonders, various miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit. The word signs and wonders describes future events that have significant impact. So God did signs and wonders. We can go back to the book of Acts and see as the church was going around that God accompanied their message with signs and wonders to confirm that what they were doing was real and saying is real. Peter says this in Acts 2.22 when he's talking in his message at Pentecost. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. That was the testimony that they had was the divine signs and wonders that accompanied what Jesus did. And in their age, in the church age, and in our age, is the gifts of the Holy Spirit are also a sign to confirm the message of salvation. That is, as we experience the, the love, joy, and, and the other gifts that uh, the Spirit gives to us, that's a sign that salvation is real. It needs to be paid attention to. It cannot be ignored, or there are consequences. And this is all part of God's will. That phrase, his own will, is, refers to his sovereign will, that which pleases him. God does not leave his message without supporting evidence. God just doesn't say, go out there and believe it. He gave evidences, through, first through Christ himself, and then through personal testimony, and then God's own work in the process. He wants us to take it seriously. If we don't, he holds us accountable. So let me ask you this question this morning. Do you live like God is holding you accountable? 
Romans 14.12 says this, So that each of us will give an account of himself to God. There is coming a day where you and I will stand before God and give him an account of our life. Now, it's not going to be this, you know, your, your life gets flashed on a, a screen and you have to go through every action and every moment. No, God's going to ask you, how did you spend your life? How did you pay attention to the truth? Did you ignore it? Did you suffer for it? And so are we living like God's going to hold us accountable? Or are we just saying, you know what, I'm saved and that's enough? No, no, God's going to hold you accountable. Whether you like it or not. And so instead of fearing his judgment, when he comes kind of shrinking back, as it says in 1 John, because we haven't paid attention to the truth and lived it out. How about we live like God's going to give us an account someday? Like he's going to say, David, how, how, why did you do this in your life? What were you thinking? How were you living? And I'm about to tell him, God, I wasn't thinking. I was sinning. I, I was, I was uh, acting selfishly and so on and so forth. God holds us accountable for our actions. Our salvation doesn't give us a blank slate, a cheat sheet to get by. Yes, we're saved eternally. Yes, that is not in doubt. But God still judges us if we do not obey the truth. So instead of dreading giving an account to him, let's live like we're, he is holding us accountable. Warnings are for our benefit, aren't they? Whether they're warnings as a kid or warnings as an adult, they serve a purpose. To ignore them may have devastating consequences. So the author of Hebrews gives us a warning here that should ignite the alarm bells of our soul. And we have seen two reasons this morning why we need not to ignore the warning of ignoring our salvation. Do not ignore our salvation. Why? Because our salvation must be taken seriously. It's a serious thing. Because if we don't take it seriously, we don't anchor our soul to it, we will drift away. And our salvation has a greater accountability. God's holding us accountable. God brings judgment when we disobey. We're not going to get out of those consequences. So let's pay attention to what God has said. and Pay attention to the truth. May we all this week focus on our salvation until our salvation becomes our sight.